Thank you for checking out the Christian Church of Clarendon Hills podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. We invite you to stop by www.ccch.org to find out more about our church and to make plans to visit us on a Sunday morning. We're starting a new series this morning called Roar, and what we're doing is we're, we're picking up on the theme that we used for Vacation Bible School this last week, and that was all about, you heard Brian say it in the worship uh, moment a bit ago, when life gets wild, God is good. So we're going to spend a few weeks here talking about some moments in the life of a guy named Moses, which I'm sure everybody here in the room has heard of Moses, but we're going to show you some things from the later portion of his life, which a lot of people don't know about. Like a lot of people have heard about Ten Commandments and the Red Sea and stuff like that. We're going to go into the last portion of his life, and I think we're going to see some pretty incredible things about how life got pretty wild around him, but he learned that God was really, really good. And many of the things that he faced are just things that we find ourselves facing as well. So today I want to talk to you about the topic of grasshoppers, giants, and disappointment. I've been um, really intrigued by the American explorers Lewis and Clark for quite some time. Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States back in 1804, he gave them a commission for their core of discovery to see if they could discover a northwest passage that would get them from St. Louis to, to the Pacific Ocean, right? An inland passage by way of river that would allow trade to happen from the Pacific back into the inner portion of the United States. The Louisiana Purchase had just been made. Jefferson wanted to see if this was possible. So he sent off Lewis and Clark. They navigated the Missouri River starting at St. Louis, a treacherous, treacherous journey that they undertook. Lots of hardships, lots of difficulty, lots of illness. But in August of 1805, after traveling 2,500 miles from their starting point in St. Louis, they reached the source of the Missouri River, which is at the border of modern-day Idaho and Montana, and they were so proud that they were able to stand with one foot on either side of this tiny little stream that formed this giant, at times, raging river that they had navigated for the last about year and a half. There at this place called Lemai Pass, they began to climb the Continental Divide. And as they wrote it down in their extensive journals, it was a long, gentle slope through a broad valley. And what they had been told, everybody, get this, what they'd been told is they would climb to the top of this hill, which was not a very treacherous climb. They would climb to the top of the hill, the Missouri River on one side, like little at that point, they climbed to the top of the hill, they would look down, and there would be the beginning of the Columbia River. And all they would have to do is take their canoes and boats down the hill, put them into the Columbia River, and they would float right into the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> but when they got to the top of that hill and thinking, wow, we've made it this far, we found the Northwest Passage, we endured all this stuff we had to endure, here's what Meriwether Lewis wrote. We proceeded to the top of the dividing ridge from which I discovered Immense ranges of high mountains still to the west of us with their tops partially covered with snow. What he was seeing was the Rocky Mountains. And nobody had really told him they were there. Oh my. The hardest part of their journey was yet to come. I'm sure that just shattered. Now, Lewis doesn't write in his journal about what his emotions were in that moment, but wouldn't you have to think that that just would have been so disappointing? You think you're almost to the end of the journey, and when you get there, you realize, oh no, (laughs) the difficulty has only just begun. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever found yourself saying, 
wow, this portion of my life up to now has been pretty hard. I've endured some things that have been pretty difficult, more difficult at times than I thought it would be. But then one day you discover what's coming next. Either you get news of this or something happens and you discover what comes next and it's like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen now is going to be way harder than anything I've ever endured before and I don't have any choice but to go through it. That's tough. And that can be a pretty disappointing place to be when you feel like, hey, I'm I'm here, it's been hard, but oh no, now you're telling me it's going to be even harder for a while in the future? That can be pretty disappointing. And I wonder if that's how our friend Moses in the Bible felt. And let's open our Bibles this morning, Numbers chapter 13. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the seat back, you can find that little book of the Bible on page 116, Numbers chapter 13 on page 116. Feel free to, of course, use your Bible or maybe your app on your phone. I wonder if this is how Moses felt when the nation of Israel was on the brink of entering the promised land, the land that God was giving to them. Because here's Moses. Like Moses had gone to the Pharaoh in Egypt and he had said, God's saying, let my people go. And he saw Pharaoh let God's people go. He saw God bring a bunch of plagues on the nation of Egypt. He saw God do this amazing act of of release from slavery. He saw God part the Red Sea. He saw God give him the Ten Commandments. He saw God lead them on their journey with a pillar of cloud, it says in the Bible, by day and a pillar of fire by night. He'd witnessed God send them manna in the desert when there was nothing to eat. It would just be there in the morning when they had gotten up out of bed. And it now had been two years since leaving Egypt. Two years. And they're right on the edge of entering this land that God's giving to them. They were camped at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And so a task force is sent out to explore this land. And it says in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. There were 12 tribes, so 12 different guys were sent out on this expedition. They were to report back on the nature of the land, its inhabitants, what vegetation there was like. It it says some of that in verses 18 through 20. Um, It says there, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So their mission wasn't to decide whether or not we're going to go live there. The mission was to explore the land that God was giving to them. And all they had to do was just receive it back from God as a gift. And in many respects, this scouting journey was a huge success. For 40 days, they were allowed to just wander around, get a look at what was there. They saw the abundance of the land. In fact, they cut one cluster of grapes that was so big they had to hang it on a pole that two guys carried between them. So very, very abundant place to live. And upon their return, they shared the report. Now there was a a majority group of people who gave a report, 10 of them, and here's what they said. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit, the giant cluster of grapes. But the people who live there are 
powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there, this legendary figure of old who apparently was a giant. But Caleb and Joshua, who are the authors here, if you will, of the minority report, they could see where this majority report is heading. It says in verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. They're filled with courage and faith. However, the majority group chimes back in and here's what they said. But when the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. We looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we seemed the same to them. You talk about a, a word picture that's just not going to go away. People now among the camp, they've got that in their mind. Like, we're grasshoppers. We're bugs compared to those people. And Moses, this is where you want us to go? No way. Why the difference in these two reports? Not too tough to point out. The majority group completely left God out of the equation. In fact, when they came back with the report, they said, hey, Moses, we went to the land you told us to go, which is very different than when Moses sent them out. He said very clearly, and we read it just a moment ago together, I want you to go to the land the Lord your God is giving to you. And they come back and say, well, we went where you told us to go. There's nothing rational about the fear they came back with either. The land devours those living there. It's a harsh land to live in. Oh, and by the way, there are giants there. Well, how are those people getting so big, <laughs> right? If it's a harsh land to live in. If the land devours people living there, how come some people get so well nourished they grow to this gargantuan size? Completely irrational line of reasoning there. Isn't our belief, though, sometimes just as irrational? Sometimes our fears get in the way of what's actually true. We have this great big God who can do absolutely anything, and yet we get stuck in our fears sometimes over what may or may not happen, what may or may not actually be true. The result of the news that these guys spread around, well, here's the kind of comments that come back to Moses. Just some zingers. Hey, Moses, if only we had died back in Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here just to die? Our wives and children now, they're going to be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better now if we just went back to Egypt? Well, not only does Moses hear all this, God hears it too. And this was far from the first time God had been hearing this over the course of these two years after he'd brought his children, Israel, out of their slavery in Egypt. And it had gotten to the place here now where they're right on the verge of taking possession of this great gift, this wonderful land that God's giving them. And why was he doing this, by the way? We have to think through some of the, the rest of what's going to happen in the Bible. God's setting things up for you to be able, you, to be able to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God is going to use this promised land of Israel, that place where the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is one day going to be born, and his people would have to live there in order for that to happen. And out of that place, the news about Jesus would spread far and wide so that you yourself would be able to learn that, hey, there's access to God, and I can personally have that through someone who died for my sins when God himself came to earth, died on the cross, and rose again. God's getting ready to set all of that up, and here's his people on the edge of going into that land to advance the process of 
so that you could hear about Christ and you could have a relationship with God and you could be forgiven and you could be covered with grace and hear these people stuck in fear like no way there's giants there we can't go and I'm sure that frustrated God immensely because he'd heard it again and again and again. Numbers chapter 13 verse 28 or chapter 14 verse 28 excuse me and following here's what God says. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I'll do to you this very thing I've heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years of old, 20 years old or more, who's counted in the census and who's grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun, the two guys who brought back the good report. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I'll bring them in to enjoy the land you've rejected. But as for you, well, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Too harsh? What do you think? Too harsh on God's part? Well, I don't know. I mean, I I look at that and I I wonder that same thing myself, honestly. Like, God, these are just people. They were slaves. I mean, what... What were they supposed to have all figured out about how to trust you? But he's showing them these amazing things along the way. You can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me. And here's the plan that he's putting in place for you and for me. And they're resistant to it. You got to remember here, though, when God says the punishment is you're going to wander for 40 years now in the wilderness, you're going to die in the wilderness. He didn't annihilate them right on the spot. He didn't stop sending them manna. He didn't stop guiding them during the day with with the cloud or at night with the pillar of fire. And he didn't stop being gracious to them through their leader, Moses. So he could have made it a whole lot worse. He didn't. I think he was still really, really gracious in many, many ways through this. But what I want us to do here for just a bit this morning is to think about Moses. What's he got to be thinking here? Like here's a guy two years removed from getting called out by God at the burning bush. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him it's time to let my people go. So Moses does it. He goes there. He sees God do some crazy cool things. But he's leading this group of people that are, are very obstinate and difficult to lead through the desert for these two years. They get right to the edge of the promised land. Moses surely has to think, okay, whew, all right, about time to say job well done, right? It's been, been tough. About time to enter the promised land, did what God asked me to do. And now he hears in that moment, no, it's going to be 40 more years. 40 more years. This is your life, Moses. This is what's coming next. 40 more years. That's the deal. And I wonder if Moses in that moment was like, my life's dream has suddenly changed. And it's not even my fault. Grasshoppers, giants, disappointment. Talk about life getting wild, like right on the spot. And maybe you can relate to this as well. I wonder if there's anybody here today whose life journey has been impacted by the choices or actions of somebody else. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) But I'm wondering, is there anybody in here that your life got really wild? Not because of something you did. Well, maybe that happened at some point too, but... Maybe you can think of something that's even happened recently where your life got kind of wild because of something somebody else did. That's where where Moses finds himself. Not to be too personal here this morning, but maybe that happened when you found out that your teenager was pregnant. 
or maybe when you found out that your spouse uh, was having an affair, or maybe you're a kid in here and you heard your parents are getting divorced, or maybe you heard that your son or daughter is headed to prison. Maybe a teammate at work leaves their job and all of a sudden you have this immense amount of work that you didn't have to do before. Stressful, stressful, stressful. Or maybe you found out that your boss has been fraudulent. Maybe the company you work for files bankruptcy. Maybe your school is closing. Maybe the state squandered your pension. Of course, that would never happen, would it? (laughs) But sometimes the choices of other people can really impact the journey that we're on in some really dramatic ways. And maybe today, you yourself find that you're in a tough situation because of somebody else's choices. And you didn't ask for this. You didn't do it. But because of the choices or actions of somebody else, your life has been changed. And now you're on a path that you did not foresee. You didn't even really want to take this one. But nonetheless, here you are. And you know from here on out it's going to be really, really challenging. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because that's the question. I mean, you got Lewis and Clark looking at the mountains ahead. What are you going to do? You got Moses on the edge of the promised land. Hey, it's 40 more years. Not what I planned. What are you going to do, Moses? And maybe you sit here today. Man, I didn't sign up for this. No, you probably didn't. But what are you going to do? Taking some cues from Moses, let's just look at what he did and maybe draw some applications for ourselves. When life gets wild because of the actions or choices of other people, well, one thing we can do is we can remember who God is. Moses realized, wow, there's going to be some consequences for these people's actions. God tells him as much. But Moses remembers this. He has a dialogue with God about this in Numbers chapter 14, and he mentions this back to God. He said, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. That's who God is. And wherever you find yourself today... God didn't stop being God for a moment just because things got tough in your life. In fact, he's still your all-powerful, all-loving, perfect, wise, just, faithful, promise-keeping, good, good father. That's who he remains today. And if anybody believes that, amen? amen? That's who he is. Even when things get tough, he didn't change. He didn't change. And Moses realized that. God, I know you're slow to anger. I know you're abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion. This stinks, what you're telling me about what happens next, but I know you didn't change. Taking another cue from Moses, when life gets wild because of the choices of actions or others, you know what we can do? We can pray for those whose choices have impacted us. Moses could have blamed the people who suddenly made his life hard. He could have gotten really, really bitter toward them. I'm sure he was tempted to do that. But instead, he chooses to intercede on behalf of them to God. Numbers chapter 14, verse 19. In accordance with your great love, God, forgive the sin of these people just as you've pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Forgive them. Sounds an awful lot like if you were here last Sunday when we were looking at what Jesus said about what we're to do as kingdom people. We're to make sure that we forgive those who have hurt us. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, Jesus said. Love those who've let you down. Love those who've made your life hard. Pray for them. And taking one last cue here from Moses, when life gets wild because of the choices or actions of others, you know what we can do? We can actually choose to remain faithful in our own walk with God. I'm sure Moses had some thoughts of escapism here. 
and just leave. You don't have to stay here. You could wander off at night. Nobody would ever know. Just leave. Kind of makes me think back. Remember those Southwest Airlines commercials a few years ago, the want to get away commercials? Got the lady who's snooping through the medicine cabinet at a friend's house and the whole thing collapses. Or the lady who opens a spam email in the office and one by one all the computers go in meltdown cubicle by cubicle. Or some of you here today for the car show might remember the, the guy who's at the car wash and the wand of the pressure washer at the car wash goes all over and smashes the 65 Mustang. Whoo, that was a bad day. And so the caption at the end of each of those was what? Want to get away, right? I'm sure Moses would have longed for a Southwest airline ticket in that moment. Escape the problem. Get away. Man, that's our instinct so many times. Just flee. Get as far away from the problem or the disaster as possible. Let other people deal with it. And that's why sometimes we hear of things like people leaving their families or walking away from the people they love. But does Moses do that here? Absolutely not. He runs toward God. He remains faithful to God. He's like, God, I'm going to remain your servant here no matter what. I'm going to be a bearer of the mission you've given me to do no matter what happens if I get disappointed by somebody else. Because for Moses, realizing if I try to do life without God, it's going to be even tougher than if I stay here and I do what's going to look like it's pretty hard for these next 40 years. Guys, when, when life gets wild because of the, the choices or actions or the decisions of other people, God's still good. He's always going to act justly and he's going to fulfill his plan. He's always going to act with justice and mercy toward people. And with his help, we can remember who he is. We can intercede for people who've disappointed us. And we certainly have been given the strength through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ himself living in us to remain faithful to him and what he's called us to do to the end of our days. Even though things change and sometimes they may get tougher than we thought they were initially going to be. Amen? All right. We hope that you've enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at www.ccch.org and please come and see us this weekend.